Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Oh my goodness, how many of you love that song, Same God? Oh, so good. You moved in power then, move in power now. Ah, what a great prayer. And that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. If you're joining us online, really grateful that you're with us today as well. In 1835, Frenchman Alexis de Tocqueville wrote a much revered work entitled Democracy in America. Now, he was a Frenchman who was over in the States exploring this new movement that was taking place that we know as the United States of America. He came originally to study the prison systems and ended up doing sort of a a sociological and psychological research project on, on the entire nation. And he recorded his findings in his book, Democracy in America. One of the questions he asked in that book was, Will America be able to sustain her free institutions? Now, I would argue that that question is as pertinent today as it was almost 200 years ago. Amen? Amen. Will America be able to maintain its freedoms? And de Tocqueville suggested that one of the main things that was going to push against America being able to do that was what he called individualism. Now, that was a new term at the time. And listen to one of the ways that he defined it. He said, individualism is a calm and considered feeling which disposes each citizen to isolate himself from the masses of his fellows and withdraw into circles of family and friends. With this little society formed to his taste, he gladly leaves the greater society to look out for itself. Interesting, don't you think? He he was saying almost 200 years ago that one of the things that that freedom would bring about was people going, you know, I'm not so sure I want to be a part of the whole. I can sort of be a part of my little collective over here. He went on to write that they may form the habit of thinking of themselves in isolation and imagine that their whole destiny is simply in their own hands. He closed this brilliant section of his book by writing, each man is forever thrown back on himself alone And there is danger that he may be shut up in isolation of his own heart. Now, we talked about prophecy last week a little bit. And I want to suggest to you that this written in 1840 might have been a bit prophetic. (laughs) Prophetic. Listen, we would all agree, I think, that freedom is extremely important. But one of the things that has a tendency to do is to sort of curve in on itself. There's a reason that there are 93 million selfies taken every single day. 93 million. On average, you will take 450 selfies this year. Now, if you don't hit your quota, my guess is that the neighbor sitting next to you will make up yours and then some in your deficiencies. <laughs> yeah. We live in what sociologists, sociologists now call a thin society. 
that the concept of we has all but disappeared completely, and the connections that we do have are based based just like Tocqueville suggested on our preferences and on our close family members and on people who tend to think like us, act like us. And well, we don't have too many friendships or extend love to those who don't fit in our same category of life. Now, that was all happening before the COVID pandemic. And can we all agree that it hit overdrive during the pandemic, right? And I think that de Tocqueville rightly identified that Western society is, be, is, is built on individual rights and that that is a good thing and a beautiful thing and has served the world really, really well. Amen? But he pointed out that there might be an underbelly to it as well. That maybe, just maybe, the John Wayne style of rugged individualism fits better on the screen than it does in real life. That sometimes we forget that the me needs a we in order to thrive. Or as Bishop Desmond Tutu put in quoting the African concept of Umbutu, a person is a person through other persons. Or maybe, just maybe, we might say that a Christian is a Christian in connection to the church. That maybe this adage that we hear thrown around quite often, I love Jesus, but not the church, is a misnomer, according to first century Christians. So over the last few weeks, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit. And you might be wondering, Ryan, what in the world does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? I'm so glad you asked. If you have your Bible, will you open with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be diving in today. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, has already said on two occasions that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. But what's really interesting is that when he said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it was a singular. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And when he said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it was a plural, as if to say, the Holy Spirit lives in y'all, if you speak Texan, right? Or all y'all, right? That there are ways that the Spirit works in our collective midst that he doesn't work in our individual lives. And that's where Paul is going to go in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you were with us last week, you might remember that at the beginning of this chapter, Paul developed sort of a cadence where he was saying that there are a variety of gifts, but the same. Varieties of activities, but the same. Varieties, but the same. And he wanted to tease out that the way that God works in your life may not be identical to the way that God works in somebody else's life. He then went on to list nine what we call manifestations of the Spirit that were happening in the midst of the church in Corinth. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And now he's going to come back to this idea of varieties but the same, and he's gonna hit it pretty hard. First Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Are you there? Right on, listen to the way Paul began. He said, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with 
Christ. Or so it is in the body of Christ. Or so it is in the church. And so Paul wants to remind this church that they are, what, say it with me, Emmanuel Faith, that they are one. That they are one. Why would he need to remind them of that? Because they weren't living it out. They weren't living as one. They were divided and they were splintered. And what's really, really interesting is that the church in Corinth wasn't divided over politics and they weren't divided over a pandemic. In the context of this passage, they were divided over spiritual gifts. They were divided over the way that the Spirit was manifesting in their midst. So imagine this. Can you imagine a church that was divided over the way the Spirit was working? Oh, you can. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, because that kind of stuff still happens today, doesn't it? Churches still divide over the way that the Spirit works. And Paul combats that division by giving them an image to hold on to. He says that the church is a what? A body. So you need to catch this. According to the scriptures, the church isn't a business. It's not an organization. It's not a corporation. In the New Testament, the church is described as a family. The church is described as a bride. The church is described here as a body. As if to say it's a living organism not an organization. I love the way that Paul put it in the book of Ephesians. He said, and he, God, has put all things under his, Jesus's feet. And he gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of his body, which means that when you show up to work, a portion of Jesus shows up. When you enter into your family, a portion of Jesus enters in. When we gather together, that we are a reflection of who Jesus is and what Jesus is up to. You've heard the adage, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. And I would say yes and amen. And you're also the spleen and the liver. And like you name it, right? We are part of his body. And as we're going to see, Paul's central point in all of this is to get us to step back and just reimagine what it means to be a part of the church. Because we often create hierarchical structures in our mind, structures that we say some people are really important and other people not so much. And we tend to think maybe some of us that we fall in the not so much portion of that. But Paul's point in all of this is gonna be that the church is not built on the gifts of a few, but on the contributions of all. We are a body. And in our celebrity-driven influencer culture, this runs contrary to what we often see, does it not? It runs contrary to the idea of, I like Jesus, but not the church. No, we don't get the option of tapping out on that. To follow Jesus is to be a part of the church because, friends, we genuinely, we're going to unpack this in in more detail, need each other. And Paul then goes on to tell us how we were created. Like, Like, what's our origin story as a church? For in one spirit, we were all, what? Baptized. Into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit baptized by the Spirit into one body. Now that term, 
spirit baptism or baptism by the spirit is a bit of a slippery term in the New Testament. It's hard to pin down exactly what that means. But here, what it means is that somebody comes to faith in Jesus and upon faith in Jesus, as Paul's already written, they become a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So he's not talking about some separate experience beyond conversion here but the Corinthians' common reception of the Spirit upon putting their faith in Jesus. I I like the way that John MacArthur put it. He said, by this, speaking of the baptism of the Spirit, the Son places all believers into the sphere of the Spirit's power and person, into a new environment, a new atmosphere, a new relationship with others, and a new union with Jesus Christ. As if to say it this way, that upon becoming a follower of Jesus, you didn't just receive a new identity, You received a new family. You became a part of a new body, a new body. And so from here, what Paul wants to do in the next portion of this letter is identify two lies that we often believe that prevent us from living into this. And let's jump into the first. Here's what he said. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Now notice that Paul starts writing in first person. And I think he wants us to just step back for a moment and ask the question, do I believe this lie on any level? And here's the lie. I do not belong. I do not belong. Let's just let that sit on us for a moment. And let's start to ask some questions. If you've ever felt like it was hard to be a part of the church, like everybody else had it together and you didn't, Like everybody else believed in a uniform fashion about every single thing and you were just maybe a little bit off center. If you've ever felt when you walked into these doors like, I don't belong here. I just want you to know that you're not alone. People when the church first started were thinking that. That it turns out it's not easy to be a part of the church. The enemy wants to attack us on every level and remind us of all of our sin and all of our failures and all of our shame. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the woman who was caught in adultery to set foot in a church? Everybody knows my story. They're all looking at me. I don't belong. Or you can imagine in Corinth, you had women who were coming out of pagan temple prostitution, becoming a part of the church. You had men who had gone to visit them there who were a part of the church. They were together. Can you imagine both of them thinking, I don't belong. Here's the beautiful thing about the church, friends. Please do not miss this. We come to Jesus by grace or we don't come at all. Come on. That we are a community of people who are saying, not I've got it all together and I stuck the dismount and I nailed it. But we are a people who are saying where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so I don't know what kind of lies you're telling yourself about why you don't belong here today, but I just want to speak truth into that lie and tell you, you belong. You belong. By grace, you 
belong. And I think Paul starts to identify the two great enemies of spiritual growth. Comparison and competition. Comparison and competition. See, comparison assesses your own worth and value in relationship to how you compare to other people. But here's the fatal flaw of comparison. Comparison by its nature assumes that we should all be the same. Doesn't it? In order to compare, you need to assume that you should look exactly like somebody else, just a little bit better, right? Competition assesses our worth and value by being better or winning or getting one up on the people around us, that we are only okay if we're a little bit better than the people around us. And what Paul says is both of these are lies underneath this lie, I don't belong. And he says, no, 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 not in the church. Not in the church. In the church, you belong because you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus and you are called his own. And one, one person's clapping for that. Praise God, brother. Praise God, right? And you know what's really interesting is that in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, how is this comparison and competition, this I don't belong happening? It's happening when people look at the way spirit is manifesting himself in other people. And they're going... Well, well, the Spirit isn't doing the same thing in my life. The Spirit isn't giving me the same kind of gifts. The Spirit isn't moving and working in the exact same way. So I must not belong. And I just want you to hear that regardless of, or in spite of, or maybe even because of the way that the Spirit is working in you, we need you uniquely to be a part of the church I love the way that Paul answers this in verse 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense be of hearing? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? I mean, you might add like, if the whole body were just a bunch of hands, like we could give some great high fives, but it would be hard to give a good talk, right? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each of them as what? He chose. So we are different by design. So comparison, competition, that goes contrary to the way that God's created us to work. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We need the differentiation. Otherwise, the body wouldn't be able to function. We wouldn't, ex we wouldn't expect a human body to exhibit uniformity in order to have unity. Why would we expect the church to do that? See, the lie is I don't belong, but the truth is, no, 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 I've moved from being an outsider to being an insider. I I've moved from being an outcast oh, to being a part of the family, to knowing that these are my people, <laughs> That this is my home and that I belong here. Unfortunately, in, 19, in the 1970s, there was this research project that was done that caused many churches to adopt what's called the homogenous growth principle. Homogenous growth principle. And listen to one of the researchers as he identifies some of the core tenets of this principle as it pertains to being a part of the church. He said, churches grow fastest when the gospel is propagated along existing social lines and networks, and when people do not have to cross ethnic, cultural, or class barriers to become Christians. 
So churches grow best if you can find a bunch of eyes and get them all together and a bunch of ears and get them all together and a bunch of, what, fill in the blank, and get them all together or a bunch of one ethnicity or one language group and get them all together. That will help the church grow fastest. The study found that monolithic things are more comfortable for us. And as a result, they tend to grow fastest. I would put this under the category of easier isn't always better. Easier isn't always better. And after reading this section of scripture, I just had to pause and ask the question, like, are, are denominations formed and built so that all the mouths can find the mouth church and all the feet can find the feet church and all the hands can find the hand? Like, is that, is that what's going on? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that denominations are a bad thing. What I'm saying is that uniformity is not the design of the, of the church. So to the extent that anything promotes uniformity over spirit-formed, diverse unity, it runs contrary to the grain of the gospel. It just does. So listen to the way Paul said this in the letter to the Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians. He said, this is the mystery. It's that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like for the first century church, this would have been mind-blowing. They would have gone, well, well, isn't it just easier to have an all-Jewish church and then we can have an all-Gentile church and like maybe occasionally we can do a family fun day or do a potluck together? Like, wouldn't that be easier? They grow, grow faster like that. And Paul would go, no, 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 that's not the mystery. The mystery is that the manifold wisdom of God is put on display through the multifaceted, multidimensional existence of his body that together would have, or separate from Jesus, would have no reason to get together, and yet because of Christ is unified and on mission together. Amen. That's what the church is designed for. The church began as a radical alternative to the homogenous growth principle. You have to know that. From its very inception, it was saying, I know that's easier, but it's not better. To that point, uh, I just want to remind you, our vision as a church is to become an inter-ethnic, intergenerational community of disciples Amen. who partner with Jesus to bring about renewal in Escondido, North County, and to the ends of the earth. Inter-ethnic and intergenerational is a core piece of who we want to become more and more and more. But what I would say is that in addition to inter-ethnic and intergenerational, what you saw happening in the church in Corinth was a diversity of ways that the Spirit was manifesting through different people in the church. So they didn't just say, we have space for you if you're a Jew or a Gentile. They didn't just say, we have space for you if you're young or if you're more wise. Um, they said, we have space for you if you speak in tongues or you don't speak in tongues. We have space for you if you prophesy or don't prophesy. We have space for you if the Spirit manifests himself through healing through you or if he doesn't. We've got space for you regardless of how the Spirit is manifesting himself through you. And so all these people were side by side in one body. And when that happens, friends, it is not easy to preserve unity. Can I get an amen? amen. It's not easy to preserve unity. But to quote Switchfoot, Love is worth the fight. It's worth the fight. So the first lie is I don't belong and listen to the second one. 
Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. So notice what's going on. The first section was first person. I don't belong here. The second section is third person. You don't belong here. Right? And I think what Paul wants to do is he wants us to wrestle with the rhythms of our heart where first we might say we don't belong, but then we might have the audacity to say you don't belong. See, I don't matter becomes I'm the only one who matters. Right? Or we might say it like this, you don't matter, or I don't matter is replaced with you don't matter. And I would argue both are lies from the pit of hell. That there was a sense of superiority and hierarchy that started to sneak into the Corinthian church. Where based on the kind of gifts people had and the way spirit was manifesting through them, some people were more important or more valued than others. And Paul is saying, no, that type of judgmental hierarchy has no place in the life of the church. So listen to his correction. Verse 22. On the contrary. So that's Paul's way of saying, you're wrong. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. See, here's his first, the first point that Paul makes is that every single person is necessary is necessary. So turn to the person next to you and say, we need you. We need you. We need you. There are no appendixes in the body of Christ. Okay? No appendixes. And the second, the second point he's making is that this is the upside down kingdom of God where the people that we might think are less important are actually more important. The people that we think are more discardable, quote unquote, are actually more needed. See, see, the tongue might get more attention, but the liver is absolutely necessary, right? And Paul says it in multiple ways as he walks through this text. And most people think that the parts that are covered are actually the parts that are internal inside of us, our organs, that don't get a ton of notoriety. But if they go wrong, we all know it. Amen? Right? And he goes, that's exactly the way that the church works. Um, in fact... It's the way the world works. March of 1981, President Ronald Reagan was shot. And he was hospitalized for three weeks. And it was one of those moments where as a nation, we sort of, everybody held their breath. But the government continued to operate. They, They didn't miss a beat for all intents and purposes. Certainly, people had to step up and step in, but it was life as... Normal for most Americans. In that same year, the garbage workers of New York City went on strike. And it absolutely shut down the city. 17-day strike. There were health concerns. There were traffic jams. There were people who couldn't get to work. So we, we might sit down over a cup of coffee and have a conversation about, well, who's more important, the president or the person that collects the garbage? What's your answer? The answer is they're both important, right? 
They play different parts, and it turns out both are essential, and one is probably even more essential to our everyday functioning, right? Even though they don't get the type of notoriety. I have a friend, I have a friend who says that she is part of the digestive tract of the body of Christ. <laughs> I love that. And here's what she said, Ryan, here's what I feel like my role is, is I receive the nutrients and then I get it to the parts of the body that need it. And then I take the toxins that could kill the body and I discard them. And I'm like, yes, yes, you do. And what it looks like is listening to a lot of people, praying for a lot of people, crying with a lot of people counseling a lot of people, helping people process their pain. And you'll never see her on a stage. And you'll very rarely ever hear her speak out in a group. And yet, she's part of what makes the body of Christ beautiful. She's part of what makes the church the church. I think of the people who stand out and greet people on a Sunday morning I think of the people who take care of our kids and teach them about Jesus. I think of the many of you who serve in our student ministries and junior high, high school and young adults. I think of the people that hand out bulletins at the beginning of the service. I think of the people that come in and clean up after each service. I think of the people that got here at 5 a.m. or so to turn on the air conditioning. Um, it, you may have a hard time believing they did that. And it's a little bit warm, but they were here, right? I think of all the many ways that the body of Christ works together. I think of notes that are sent, meals that are delivered, prayer that's offered, a word that's given, that these are all parts of the body of Christ. And I don't know what your role is in the body. As a side note, I hope you know at least a little picture of what it looks like. I don't know what your role is in the body. I just know that it's necessary for us to be who God's called us to be. And here's the transition, praise God. Here's the transition that Paul is encouraging us to make from assuming that people are in some way dispensable to saying, no, I am dependent on the body. We need each other. We need each other. There are people in our body who are passionate about those who are walking through homelessness, those passionate about justice, passionate about evangelism, passionate about orphans and widows, passionate about learning and growing as disciples, about helping our city become a more beautiful, more safe, more healthy place. And I want to encourage you to live into those passions. As Paul would write to the church in Ephesus, we are his workmanship. Literally in the Greek, we are his poetry or his song. And I love the fact, if we are his workmanship, the body of Christ looks a lot more like an, um, like an orchestra than it does just a singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar. Where every part is playing its part. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Your good works are different than mine. You have a different life, a different influence, different people you're connected with which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Oh, I love that. I love that. The truth of the matter is, friends, that we will never become who God is calling us to be if we don't collectively become who God has challenged and invited and appointed us individually to become. Um, 
I don't have time, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? I'm, 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 I think sometimes people wait for the church, quote unquote, to approve their ministry or to get behind it in order f- to think or assume that it's official. And I just want to tell you that if God has put passions inside of you, as a church, our job is to equip saints for the work of the ministry, not to officially endorse every ministry. And I want to encourage you to live into whatever it is that God has put in front of you, the passion points you have, the wiring you have, the gifting that you have. We need you to do that. You don't need to wait for the church to officially endorse your passion, to feel the support that we have for you, to lean into it and to live it out. Amen? Listen to the way Paul continued. He said, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Why why did he do that? That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Oh, the reason that he elevated the parts that we would often think were discardable was so that there wouldn't be any division. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul would write the exact same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. There's this picture that Paul's painting of a movement from indifferent, I don't really care what happens to you, to empathetic. I'm in this with you. So why in the world would God call his body, the church, to say, when you suffer, I suffer. When you rejoice, I rejoice. Because when the church does that, we actually image the God whose image we carry. Because it's exactly what he does. God doesn't from a distance sort of stand back and say, good luck with that trouble. Really sorry you're going through that. No big deal. No, what we see is that God enters in, that he weeps with us, that he walks with us, that he journeys with us, that he meets us in our real life, not in some fantasy that we wish our life was like. That this is exactly, empathy is exactly what Jesus does for us. I love the fact that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords meets us in our despair and that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is excited when we're excited, laughs when we laugh and pumps his fist when we pump ours, right? Like, do you have that picture of God in your head? He's empathetic. And, and to a large degree, let's just admit that in a church of a few thousand, it can be hard to express empathy to everyone. Listen, in a church of a hundred, it can be hard to express empathy to everyone. That's why I just, I wanna just continue to encourage that you're in a life group, a support group, an ABF, some way, Adult Bible Fellowship, some way for you to connect a class, the way of Jesus class that's going, some way for you to connect with other people who are on the journey, who can rejoice when you rejoice and who can weep when you weep. And by the way, you can't be in competition or comparing yourself to other people and rejoice when they rejoice, can you? No, but that's the calling. That's the calling. Those are the places where we live out the admonition, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. It's one of the reasons God created the church and as one of the best bands ever put it. 
One love, one blood, one life. You got to do what you should. One life with each other. Sisters, brothers. We're one, but we're not the same. Right? That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One, but not the same. So we get to carry each other. Carry each other. One. What a beautiful picture of what it means to be a part of the church. And look at the way that Paul ends this section. He says in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, now just a quick time out here. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. We could go down a rabbit hole. But in uh, many Eastern religions and Eastern philosophies that you become part of the, the one, part of the whole, but in doing so, you actually lose your unique identity. You become part of the universe, whatever, right? But you lose you in doing so. And the, the church is different, that you become part of the body, but you retain your individuality because that's the way God created you. And God created something beautiful and something good and something that he doesn't want to lose, but he wants to redeem and make it everything that it was always designed to be. And God has appointed, everybody say appointed. Appointed, appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. Now, most scholars read this not as a ranking of different spiritual manifestations, but as chronological priority. In order for the church to get started, first we needed apostle, or apostles, then prophets, then teachers. Then miracles, he goes on to say. Then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, I would just sort of anecdotally say that one of the challenges with saying that some of the gifts have ceased and some haven't is that many of the gifts appear in the same list. Let, let me put it like this. I've never heard somebody argue that the gift of helps has ceased. Never. And yet, it's right next to, well, healing and tongues and other gifts, right? So hermeneutically, it poses a bit of a challenge. But keep reading. Verse 29. Are all prophets... Are all, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? What's the answer to that? No, no. And what Paul's talking about here is the, the office or title of apostle, prophet, and teacher. What's interesting is that all are sent, which is what it means to be an apostle. That all have been given the spirit, which is part of what it means to be prophetic. And that all are called to teach. We'll read about that in 1 Corinthians 14. But it doesn't mean that everybody has that role or position in the church properly. Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? What's the answer to Paul's rhetorical questions? No. And his point is, well, that's why we need each other. That, that's why we're a part of the body together. And then he ends by saying, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, Raise your hand if you're wondering why that line followed all this work on, we need each other, right? Like, Paul, didn't you just say that the gifts that um, are often, we view more disposable or often more needed? And I think what he would say is, yeah, actually, those are the higher gifts, number one. But this is connected to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, that talks about pursuing prophecy over tongues because prophecy is a greater benefit, a wider reach than tongues. And so pursue that, but we will get to that in a few weeks. Here's what I want you to notice. Verse 28, God has appointed. 
God's responsible for the diversity. He likes it that way. He likes that we need each other. He likes that in and of ourselves, we are not complete. We're not enough. We need to link arms. We need to carry each other's burdens. We need each other's gifts and passions. We need the way the Spirit manifests himself through each other in order for us to be whole. See, God hasn't called you to do everything, but he has appointed you to do something. So would you just quiet your heart and maybe ask him what that something is? What are your gifts? What are your passions? What are the ways that you've come alive as you've served Jesus? What are the needs that you see that you may go, I think I can step into that. You don't need to do everything. But man, if you're a part of the church, if you're part of the body, we need you to do something that God has wired you uniquely to do. You're his poetry. You're his song. What instrument has he called you to be, and what does it look like to play that? See, but please notice, please notice that the Spirit's work in Corinth made division more possible. It just did. The church presumably could have been more united if the Spirit weren't manifesting himself in different ways and different people, and people were going, well, I must not belong here, or you don't belong here, right? The Spirit's work makes division more possible, but it also makes life more powerful. And so here's my plea. As we push more and more into the work of the Spirit, let's be intentional about preserving unity. Preserving the unity with the bond of peace, with humility, and coming before God and saying, God, I, I, I need the people around me. I belong here, but so do they even if they look different than me, especially if they look different. And so as we close, I just want to give you the chance to affirm, maybe in your own heart, the ways that the Spirit is at work in the people around you. And even if it doesn't look the exact same as the way that He is at work in you. Would you just take a moment? beautiful thing. God is at work in our midst. Manifesting himself in different ways and different people, all for the glory of his name. So would you stand with me? If you're able. And over the last few weeks, we've been ending our time in the scriptures with a simple prayer, come Holy Spirit. And I've been filling in sort of the next phrase, come Holy Spirit and fill us with power, come Holy Spirit and pour out God's love. But I, I just felt led today to just create space for, for us collectively to pray, come Holy Spirit. And so um, I'm gonna invite you and we can try our best to listen to each other and not talk over each other, although if that happens, that's not a big deal. But I just wanna invite you to finish this phrase and we can pray together. Come Holy Spirit and, it doesn't need to be a long prayer, just one phrase, maybe even one word, but would we be a church that says back to the Spirit, come. Let's pray together.
out loud, who wants to start us? Holy Spirit, have your way. Come Holy Spirit, lead us. Come Holy Spirit and exalt Jesus in our midst. Come Holy Spirit, empower your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.